Welcome back, Rebels. Welcome back. Tomorrow is Tuesday, the 18th of May, and that means Toby Shinobi's new book is out. If you don't know who Toby Shinobi is, then very disappointed you for not listening to all of our back episodes, but we've actually had him on, on the show twice so far. He's a photographer based out in Chicago, from London originally, and I would say just go on Instagram, search for Toby Shinobi, T-O-B-I, Shinobi, like the ninja, and go and check out his work because he's absolutely amazing and he's a super cool guy. Yeah, I think we have a lot of authors on this show and we so there's there's almost too many books for people to buy, which is why we try and interview the guests and sort of get as much as we can out of them. But this is a book that we do recommend and it, we can't give you what what's inside the pages because it's all photos. Um, so just visually, it is beautiful. And um, yeah, we just want to support Toby because he's a, a stand-up guy. He's really proud of the book. We're really proud of him for making this book. So uh, it would be amazing if uh, Creative Rebels could go and support him. His new book is called Equilibrium. Uh, if you search Toby Shinobi, T-O-B-I Shinobi, uh, you'll find his book Equilibrium at all good booksellers. I love the idea of like making a book of your artwork. I think it's a really nice thing to aspire to, to actually kind of create that collection of work and have it all in one place. Because I feel like as creatives, all of our work just exists like on the internet. We very rarely kind of put it together into one thing. It's even like thinking about like when I grew up, we would always have film cameras, you'd get them printed out, you'd make a photo album out of it and you can go back years later and flick through those photos and my parents still have all those now and I've actually, I've got a box, all of those photos from my childhood that are just so nice to be able to kind of like look back on and I think it also really documents your life in a nice way as well to be like, actually this chapter here is like from these years and then like having that to be able to look back on and be able to see how your career progressed without having to use a platform like Instagram. Because like, I suppose if you think of like Facebook, I remember when I was on Facebook, like I haven't used Facebook for ages now, when we've been like, oh, this is so good because I've got all my photos on here and I'll be on Facebook forever and they'll always be there for me to go back and look at. But I've not been on Facebook in years now. And so it's like that idea that I had thinking that, oh, because this is the current state of the world, this is going to be here forever, just isn't the case. It was actually by printing it into a book, that can be a really great way to yeah, actually kind of having having that for yourself, but then also being able to share that with your audience too. When you think about your camera roll, like if if I was to die tomorrow, my camera roll dies with me. Everything yeah. within there. It's not like it's not like someone is gonna go and and publish everything that I've got on my camera roll. It's like it's almost our job in this digital age to pick out the best ones and make them physical because otherwise, yeah, they're just they're just gonna be stuck on the camera roll or on the hard drive or on on the memory stick and and really we're we're robbing the world of all of these of the all of these fantastic images so yeah put it, put yeah. it in the book make it real yeah and i think as well like i know kind of you're really keen on like legacy and things like that i think by having something that's in a book then that kind of does cement it a bit more it does allow the next generation to be able to find it read it buy it share it and yeah i think yeah it's just a really good thing to do and i think more people should do that with their work in general just be able to reflect back on where they've come and then have a little thing to just document that and be proud of themselves because i think it's very easy to just keep going whereas actually it's so nice to be able to just look back at the work you've done and then be proud of that little moment like something i've been thinking about recently because i've started doing like little sketches every day since we interviewed erica lee sears and i was thinking oh what would be really nice is because i've just got this like small little book it's only like 30 pages but is for every holiday that I go on to have a little book that kind of I take with me for that trip. And if I can make sure that I can fill up that over the time, I feel like that, again, would be a really nice thing to have 
in the future to look back on obviously you've got kind of the photos you take on your phone on your camera or whatever videos you might take but actually having something that you did at the time that was creative that maybe that will push you in a different direction as well because i think just by having like for example if i took it to spain and i was sat like in a little coffee shop and i was like that's a beautiful bit of tile on the wall over there or something anything that you see that might be some form of inspiration actually taking the time to sit and draw that means that you'll take it in a lot better because i know like for me if i listen to an audiobook i'll kind of take in so much but then if i have a notebook with me write things down i'll learn it so much better so i feel like inspiration could be taken in the same way by actually really looking into something properly taking as soon as you start to actually draw it yourself then it's a really different way that your brain starts to like analyze that and you start to realize oh actually these are how these shapes work together or this kind of thing and i think it's through doing that that you could start to push your work in a completely different direction because you never know what form of inspiration you can find by just kind of going out there and being curious. Yeah, and that curiosity, that's the basis of of what this week's guest, her whole career is comes from that curiosity. So this week we're, we're speaking to Helen Kirkham and her whole career came because she was curious of, of what it took to make a trainer, to make a sneaker. So in order to find that out, she took sneakers apart. And then in the deconstruction, she started reconstructing in different ways. And I mean, we we talk to most people that we interview on this show are within a field that is established. There's a blueprint to follow pretty much. And, and you know what to expect. But what I love about Helen's story is like, there was, there was no Frankenstein cobblers mm. like making these these shoes out of other shoes there was no one doing that before her and she's kind of started this whole new thing um just through and it's all come from her curiosity she followed it she saw where it went and it's taken her it's, it's built an entire career for her i think it's very easy to look at what people have done before and just copy it because you're like oh well that thing exists i'm just going to go and do this myself where people get really successful is when they start to create things that are a bit more unique and i think it's really hard to find something that's unique because everything seems to have been done before whereas i think it's, as soon as you start to go out of that out of the kind of standard path that you're used to following looking at the same things that most people like follow so for example if you're a an illustrator you're probably going to look at other illustrators you might look at some paintings you're going to look at kind of take inspiration from certain places even kind of like bits, bits of pop culture or something or places like that but that's the same thing that most illustrators are going to do so i think having that curiosity of being like, hey, well, what, just just trying something in a different area and just seeing if that can bring in something to your work, seeing if it can like improve it in some way. Because it's like, as soon as you go and start looking at things that no one else in your field is looking at, that's when something unique is going to happen. Because it's like, if you're an illustrator and you decide, actually, yeah, I'm going to go to Lisbon and study tiles for like a week or whatever, then it's like you might find actually that really impacts your work. It makes me think of like the artist Phil Blake, who we've worked with over the years. And his work, you can really see how it's changed over time. And as soon as he discovered like plants and almost looking at like William Morris style patterns, you really saw like a, a pivot in the way that his work mm. went to now where it's at a stage where it's just absolutely stunning. And it's almost like a really cool modern version of William Morris, but done in his own unique style. And it's like, that's unique because he's managed to take something that is from a completely different area to the kind of stuff he was doing before, but then really making it his own. And I think that can be done in like looking at just at things outside your media, looking at things just completely outside of the world that you currently work in. 
And I think, yeah, it just comes down to trying those things, being curious, going into places that you don't expect yourself to be in and see what you can learn from that and see how you can bring that back to your work. That's the only way that you're going to become truly remarkable. Like you, mm. if you are an illustrator, there is an established path and there's probably a style that you can you can squeak by with quite safely. You can differentiate yourself from other illustrators, but still, it's still the same. There's kind of a ceiling to that. There's there's a level of success that you'll get and you'll probably be able to have like a nice career from it. And it's great and it's fine. Yeah. But I was watching a documentary on Netflix recently about Little Peep and they there was a guy on there talking about his musical style and about how basically he took um hip hop and trap and he took like my chemical romance and green day and he and he smashed the two together and that's why he was so successful yeah. and this guy was saying like how rare that is in music is to take two differing music styles and put them together and and it be a success and how you basically he was like you have to be a genius to do that and it's in that genius that the remarkable happens that where you get an artist like Little Peep or an artist like Prince was was another example that he brought up on that doc. And and I mean, those are the people who are groundbreaking. Do you know what I mean? Those are the people who you remember yeah. who and, and obviously like Little Peep died when he was really young, so I don't think he really gained the kind of mainstream success of like a Kurt Cobain or a or a Prince or someone like that. But but that's that's truly where the remarkable stuff happens is finding something that is unique but yet you've there there is nothing unique so it's all smashing together of of the old bits it's it makes me think of helen sneakers yeah. like cutting bits up and sticking them together it's that's what creativity is i think that's it isn't it it's like as soon as you take two things that aren't supposed to be together and you smash them together it's like if no one's ever taken those two things before and tr- done that together, it's like it might w- be rubbish. It might you might smash them together. It's like it makes me think of like um, cooking. It's like if you can get two ingredients, smash them together. Like salted caramel is a perfect example of that, mm. where it's like two they've taken two things that like don't seem like they would work well together, smashed it together, and now it's bloody everywhere. Like you can't go to a supermarket. I didn't eat it for this. a long time. I didn't eat it for a long time because I was like, salt in my caramel sounds disgusting. Yeah. And it's fucking delicious. Yeah. It's mad, isn't it? And it's like, but it's like you could take two different ingredients and mash them together and it might be completely disgusting. But then again, it might be amazing. So it's kind of just trying putting two things together. Also, two things that you like, I think, can be really a good way to do it as well. Like if you bloody loved salt and you bloody loved caramel and you whacked them together then there's a good chance you're going to like the thing that's combined. Whereas if you take two completely random things, you might not like the way that goes. But then again, taking those two completely random things and mashing them together could lead to something like with Helen. It's like that's her whole career has gone down this path because she just got curious about something, took it apart and was like, oh, actually, this is really interesting. And then went fully all in with it. Helen spoke about her career to us and and we're saying like I don't know if I'll be doing this forever I think it's good to acknowledge whatever it is that you do right now that you love like knowing that something might change because that's just human nature we might get obsessed with something you look at Martina Marsh and going down a completely different route from um, illustration to now doing photography and I, I think when you when you look at what's happened with Martina it's that's almost Helen's kind of acknowledgement of like I've realized that sometimes things change and I'm open to that. Yeah. And I've got like at the moment, currently, this is my whole life and it, it consumes everything. But at some point I may go in a completely different direction. And that's that's why it's important to keep that 
that curiosity. It's important to always be asking those questions, looking at the the weird random things because you never know where it might take you. And if you don't yeah. ask those questions, then you're always going to be on one track. Yeah. And I think as well, you might do something for so many years and then decide, actually, I'm a bit fed up with this now. Like I've spent, I've dedicated this amount of my life to it. I'm not getting the same enjoyment from it now that I used to. So having those other little things that you have as curiosities that you could start to kind of like build along the way for like just just for the fact that even if whatever industry you're in collapsed, at least to, like tomorrow, then at least there's the opportunity to, well, I'm still curious about these other things. You're not just then left there feeling lost, like, oh, actually, I don't know where which way to go now. I've got like, I've, you've always got things kind of like bubbling away that, well, if this failed, I could go and do this. And I think having that mentality of keeping lots of like little things like interests kind of like bubbling away is going to be really beneficial for either when you want to kind of evolve what you're currently doing and then maybe mashing it in with something else and start creating something unique. Or just if something happens and you're like, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. For example, if you if you had you suddenly lost the use of your hands and you so and you couldn't paint with spray paint anymore in the way that you normally do, it's like, what could you do? in that situation and just kind of having those little plans that are like just in case it's almost like the creative insurance for yourself of like well if this fails i doesn't matter because i've got my insurance i can go and kick in and then i can go down this route instead yeah just remember the all-important three-year factor so don't be all over the place all the time um it takes three years to fully establish a creative practice we normally find um, and even then, that's when you're only starting to get your footing. So, but just always have it in the back of your head that, you, that you're going to stay curious. Um, on that note, if you have been plugging away for the last three years, then we want to interview you on the show. This is a big announcement from us. Uh, we announced it at our last access. Um, so, unfortunately, if you weren't an a- access, you are a little bit behind because we've already had some applications come through. But if you want to pitch to be a guest on Creative Rebels and you're not at the stage of someone who's been going for 10 years and they've got thousands of followers and like all of the the sort of normal um, legends that we interview, but you're established in your career and you're starting out, we want to hear from you. Yeah. So if you want to come on the show and tell us about your story, what you've learned along the way, uh, and then we can also help and give advice based on what you're currently doing, if you need to grow in different areas, uh, anything you just want to improve on. If you've got any questions, you can bring those along too. And I think it would just be like a really nice dynamic of kind of hearing people's stories and then being able to give them our advice based on our experiences of what we think they should do to go forward or what they could do if they feel like they're a bit stuck or something. Yeah, so we're not sure whether it will be a mini series or whether it will be a more permanent feature. We'll see how people respond to it. Uh, But we just thought it might be nice um, to, rather than seeing someone who's been there and done it, um, someone who's still kind of uh, in the trenches it might be kind of relatable to people and they might be able to get some more little gems that that will help them along the way. So um, if you want to apply to come on the show and you think you're good enough and you think you have something of value to offer our listeners, then drop us a message to connect at creativerebels.co um, and be inventive and stand out from the crowd because we've already got a lot of applications um, and let us know why you'd be a perfect guest. Speaking of perfect guests, let's get into this week's episode with Helen Kirkham. Yes, Helen Kirkham is a sneaker designer and an artist, and she creates incredible brand new pairs of shoes by disassembling and reassembling old shoes um, that have a story that are worn and and textured, and she cuts them all up and, and puts them all back together again. And it's they're, they're amazing. The things that she makes are really, really cool. 
Yeah, I think if you're listening to this on your phone as well, just go on Instagram and search for Helen's work, Helen Kirkham, um, because it'll kind of give you a bit more context to when you listen to the episode of exactly what she's talking about when you get to see what her designs look like. Yeah, the first time I saw her work, it it really stood out because I hadn't seen anything like it. And obviously, as we sort of touch on in the episode, a lot of sneaker companies have taken big inspiration from her work and started including some of her aesthetics into their designs. So um, she's really having a profound impact on the sneaker industry as a whole. So um, this was a really interesting chat. Hi, Helen. Hello. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I, do you know what? I'm really good. Helen, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What gets me out of bed in the morning? Uh, trying to change the world, I suppose. Fucking hell. All right, we're starting off big. <laughs> on, then. What, what are you trying to change? I've actually just come back from, I had a week off last week, so I feel like I'm very motivated about my cause yeah. and what I'm um, doing with my life at the moment, which is good. And I think that just shows sometimes you just need to have a rest as well to just allow yourself not to burn out. And I think it's really hard, especially when you have a business by yourself to allow yourself to have time off. But I would highly recommend it because, yeah, I just had a week off, even though I wasn't completely off because I was still doing work. But it's like off off for me. You know, I had an out of office on my emails. So that was quite good. Have you been like drilling down into your kind of why of what, what it is that you do? Yeah, exactly. I think it's um, over the last year, you know, it's been it's been a weird one. So I think it's um, it's been a really good time for me to sort of think about what is Helen Kirkham, the brand and Helen Kirkham as an artist? What am I bringing to the world? Because I graduated 2016 from the Royal College of Art and I made this collection that, you know, created quite a lot of hype within the sneaker industry, within the fashion industry. And I, I created these pieces that became talking points about sustainability, about recycling, about our vision of newness, really, and how we like interact with products. And so that put me onto a pedestal. Then I went off for a year. I worked at Adidas. Then I came back and told myself, oh, I'll give myself a year, see how it goes, you know, with creating a studio and stuff. And then projects started coming in and it was just rolling. And I the last few years, really, I've just been going from one project to another, keep going, keep going. I think having this sort of forced pause in a way has allowed me to think, what am I and what is this business without collaborations, potentially, without, you know, what am, what am I trying to do and sort of get back to that a bit, which which has been really nice. I mean, it's hard to, it's a hard thing to work out, I suppose. Taking it back there to the year you spent Adidas, I know a lot of people, especially when they're thinking of finishing like university, different courses that they've been on, instantly have this mindset of I'm going to go and start my own business. How important was it, do you think, that year at Adidas was for your development? They offered me a position right from graduating um, my master's degree. So that was really nice because I felt like, yes, I've got a job designing footwear, which is what I want to do. So it seemed like the perfect opportunity really and even though I I only stayed there a year I only literally have one year of industry experience in that sense I mean obviously in a different sense I have a lot more experience now but that sort of commercial experience it really helped me because it allowed me to understand how things operate at that sort of level and in that sort of grand scale I went from RCA where you know I was all by myself woo, let's make a shoe, you know, just like really creative, really in my zone, not talking to anyone else about what I was doing, just creating these pieces to this 
environment where I had to explain my work and I had to showcase what I was doing and I had to create commercial products. And that was just something I'd never really experienced before. So I think that definitely helped me and it definitely helps me even now to even have, you know, that experience on my CV just to say that I've done it. Yeah, I think if me and Adam had 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 that year of because because our business partner Yona had could come from working in the music industry and had a lot of kind of knowledge I think if me and Ad had come at our first business with a little bit more of experience then a lot of the mistakes we made and the sort of just the growing pains and the lessons that that come with when you start the business would have been a little bit smoother I think it's really nice that you had that you did have that year but then how did you have the balls to walk like dude you walked away from Adidas like because most people would go yeah would say well this is like I mean there's that's a dream job and and the role that you went for I'm sure there was thousands of other people that were kind of gunning for that position why didn't you just rest on your laurels and just stay because that's one of those roles where you could be there for life I guess what I found was what motivated me was that my collection from RCA had gained quite a lot of press and publicity and not only that but I saw my work appearing around me in the industry you know I saw brands that were inspired by my collection and I could see this distressed reworked aesthetic like picking up and getting scattered around the industry and I think that fire inside me that sort of irritated me in a way because I thought this to me like this work it's not an aesthetic it's not a trend like it's not it's not about making something look distressed it's about changing a mindset and about creating a bigger message around the importance of sustainability and also you know consumerism post-consumer waste and how we how we think about products in general so I think that that sort of lit a fire in me in a way to feel like right my work isn't really done and what I did when I was at RCA I sort of put it on a plate for people like, hey, look, this is a good idea. And then I left. So for me, I just thought I can't not try. Yeah, I guess when you see other people running with your idea, then that would probably be a little bit frustrating because, yeah, like you said, it got like it got huge press in 2016. Like you got featured on High Snobriety and like all of those big, those big, big places. And then once one of those is is has featured you then everyone else kind of picks up on it and you get shared all over the place and yeah I can see because then when the brands start picking it up it, it's kind of um it's almost like social proof for you it's like okay well that was a good idea because if it wasn't none of them would be um would be picking up on it does that to to loop back to the first question what gets you out of bed in the morning would you say that um you when you've been reflecting have you been coming back to those themes of of sustainability and and like the real message behind your work because obviously like you said it really does get lost if if we're just going for an aesthetic here rather than reusing old materials to create something new yeah definitely I think that's what it always comes back to and that was sort of the point in the first place so I think as I have been reflecting on everything I've realized that I really need to sort of knuckle down on those principles in a way and make sure that all my brand partners, all my projects, like anything going forward, it has to reflect that and it can't be, it can't water down that message at all, which is quite scary because then you start being in a position where 
I'm much more clear about what I want to do. So then I have to start saying no to people. And that's, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> I think we haven't got a choice really in terms of fashion, the fashion landscape and sneakers especially are driven so much by newness and new silhouettes are dropping all the time. And I think I have to, I've realised that I sort of have to be this voice in this industry to try and champion some change, which is a bit daunting, but I think I can do it. Yeah, we we were talking about a pair that, that we're going to work on together. And I was sort of looking at my looking at my shoes and thinking like, well, she could save that part because that's like kind of pretty fresh and that that part she could save. And then you actually said to me, I'm really excited to work with your shoes because they'll be covered with paint. And then I sort of realised actually you don't want to save the pristine parts that that could be passed off as new. You actually want to tell the story of the of the the worn and the rugged and the painty and and you want to take out like the the grit the story the journey that those shoes have been on definitely and i think a lot of my so i do um made to order sneakers basically and i i work with a lot of different clients and they i have two different shoes that i sort of offer so i have my stock materials which i collect from a recycling center break down into its component pieces and then I use those to make a new shoe but then another part of my made to order service that I've introduced more recently is what I'm calling my legacy pairs and they're basically made by people's old shoes it's usually my sort of more artistic clients and creative clients that really want to send me their old shoes because they they see the story and the relevance in those products and it's so amazing to get I've done a couple of major orders now where people send me their shoes, they're all drawn all over or they've got paint splatters on, they've got illustrations on, or even it doesn't have to be that obvious. It can even just be the scuffs and marks and memories embedded in the material because that's what makes the shoes what they are. And I think that that's, that's what makes them so personal and makes them so powerful. And I think I remember when I was studying at RCA and I first wanted to get old shoes, basically, and I was asking people and no one would give them to me. And I was like, why won't anyone give me their old shoes? And then I realised I wouldn't even cut up my own old shoes. And I realised that there was, we have this connection specifically with sneakers or with shoes that we don't have with other items of clothing. And I think it goes beyond just being like a possession. It's more of a, it reflects your life. So now I've got this legacy mm. service where um, where I can sort of showcase that and showcase all of people's memories embedded into one product it's um yes yeah, such a lovely thing to do i think that's really interesting because it's like i'm not like a, a sneaker collector or anything but i've still got my pair of basketball trainers from when i was like 16 to 18 like when i was like a kid playing basketball and like i found them every day and i was like why do i still have these but there is just that kind of little bit of like that's a memory of who i used to be like because i don't play basketball anymore i haven't played in years i haven't worn them in absolutely years but just seeing them is kind of like, that's all that's left of that time of my life. So it is something that's nice to have. Yeah, definitely. I did um, a pair for a client and one of his first basketball shoes was in there as well. So I say to people, they can send me between two and six pairs. Some people, it's nice to have more than one because you can create more of a contrast yeah, in, the, yeah. in the product. But more than six is a lot of shoes to fit into one pair of shoes and you can't get all those details in there really. So you usually say between two and six two and um, six pairs and yeah people send me yeah they're old basketball shoes I've had people's shoes from when they traveled the world when they ran a marathon like all different there's so many stories that you could incorporate and I think I take it quite seriously in a way because I see the importance of my work is always driven by this like 
human interaction, human agency, and also the sort of connection that we can feel with products. And so it's always important to me to make sure that I can get yeah people's stories across in, in the products that I make, really. And with the briefs that you receive, how much of it is just taking on what they say compared to the aesthetic that you have in your mind of what you want it to look like? I have like a silhouette, basically, that I advertise so there's already a sort of shape and a silhouette and then it's people's is the materiality that sort of dictates the design so whatever people send me that's what will dictate how their shoe looks in the end sometimes I have done ones for people where they want like a mid-top height and I don't usually do that or they want a high top most of the design is sort of dictated by what they send me especially if they have soles that I can reuse then that will impact um, how it looks as well. I think I've I've worked out now what my product is basically and I try not to get derailed from that because I do get a lot of requests for a lot of other types of customization especially sneaker customization and I try and make it clear that I'm not really a customizer that's not what I do I you know I create new products basically and was that decision hard when you were first getting started when the money might not have been there to turn down things that you didn't want to do yeah, I think so. And I think at the start as well, I don't know if I did turn down a lot at the start, to be honest. I think I did most things that sort of came my way because I was trying to, that first year when I got a studio, I moved to London. I didn't even have a studio. I just moved in a flat share and thought, right, now I need to find a studio. And, um, you know, my first studio was like underneath the railway arches. It was really cold. I didn't have any heating. I didn't have any windows. Um, but I was so, it was like my like precious little zone where I could do stuff. And it was so cold in there. Like the first projects that I was working on, I had so many pairs of gloves on, you know, so many coats, hats, the whole thing. But it was, it felt like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. So even if all the projects didn't necessarily like lead in a straight line to what I'm doing now I think they all help me on my journey towards you know even if it's just things like learning okay that's not what I want to do or anything like that I think that's all it all helps you really doesn't it yeah and do you find like having that studio like actually deciding I'm going to go somewhere to work really helps the way that you actually do work I think so I think it's um it's still something that I have to train myself now and I think I'm so I've got much better at it now. Like when I leave the studio, that is the end of the day because it's so hard to, you know, you get home and you think, oh, I'll just do another hour of emails or I'll just quickly do all this social media or, you know, all those things that you don't really consider to be work. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm trying to be much stricter with myself in terms of, right, that is the end of the day. Now I'm going to go home and I'm going to, you know, cook my dinner and do something different. Yeah, but it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, that's what I try and do. I always try and like leave my laptop here and just make sure that as soon as I leave this room, that's like the day ended, and then I go and have like a separate life. And um, it, it makes me think about. And uh, we were talking to Poppy Chancellor the other week, and one thing she was talking about is identity and who you are without your craft. And I think just having that separation is a really good way to determine that because it's like when you leave that room, what are you then? And I think having that second thing to kind of even just as ways to source inspiration from or just have something else that you have an interest in that's not just solely your work 
can be really beneficial. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's something that I've actually found quite hard because I, and I remember when I went to Adidas, I had that experience because I'd always been, you know, I come from a small town, like I went to a small college and even at uh, the Royal College of Art, there was only three of us that did footwear. And out of them, I was the only one that was doing trainers. Everyone else was doing, you know, different silhouettes. So I've always been like the sort of girl that makes sneakers. Like that's what I do. And then I got to Adidas and obviously that's what everyone does. That's their job. So then I was suddenly like, oh, what do I talk about now? Like, what is my hobby? Because, you know, other people, I don't know, rode horses and did went skiing and had all these other hobbies. And I thought, shit, I don't do anything else. Yeah, it's kind of like dorky if you work at Adidas that your that your hobby is trainers. It has to be something else, doesn't it? I know. And I found that so hard, and especially because a lot of them were, you know, into sports and stuff, and I don't really do an exercise. And I've just <laughs> suddenly felt, you know, quite vulnerable. Like, I don't have another thing that I do. And I think that's always plays on my mind a little bit because I am especially because the brand is my name. I am Helen Kirkham. The brand is Helen Kirkham. Everything I do is Helen Kirkham. So it's like, it's, it does get really hard sometimes to like differentiate the two. Yeah. It's like, it's like if you, if you work for MTV and your hobby is sneakers, then that's absolutely fine. But yeah, as soon as you work within the industry, then it, then it's a a strange one, isn't it? Do you kind of struggle with that, with that separation then? Are you, is that still something that you're working on? Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, It's so, I was listening to one of your episodes the other day and I cannot remember who it was now that said it, but somebody was talking about, not that they're obviously grateful for the pandemic, but that they would, they can't imagine the person that they would have been if they just carried on at the rate that they were going. And I thought that's so true for me as well, because I think if I just got another project, then another project, and then just kept going, there wouldn't be long till I'd face burnout really and I think that um having this year to again start you know think about those things like oh what do I want to do I've got my bike I'm doing yoga I'm doing you know whatever it is like sort of build those other things around the edge of myself so yeah I do I definitely do still find that um hard but I also don't beat myself up about it like I used to um it's all right to be sort of like the sneaker girl as well because that is what I do and it depends what room you put yourself in, doesn't it? It's like, yes, if you go into Adidas where you're in a room full of everyone else who designs trainers, then it's it's the same with picking a market of how you want to sell your products to. It's like if you go into a room and every single other person's selling that, then it's going to be hard to stand out there. Whereas actually if you just put yourself in a market where you're the only person who does that, then you're going to really thrive in that situation. So I suppose that can like really help as well for thinking where do I put myself? Where do I like, like physically, as well as kind of the market that you target with your specific product? Another thing that I've realized is that even though I'm in this space and I'm doing this thing, like I do it in a way that's very different to how everyone else does it. And it's my perspective and my point of view is um, something very unique. And that's what brings people to my work. And that's what, um, you know, that's the point of it. So there's no point me trying to, because I was never a sneakerhead either. And I never, I was never really into sneakers. The reason I got into them was through this idea of our our connection to sneakers specifically and products and 
deconstructing them. I didn't know how a sneaker was made, so I wanted to find out. So I just got got them, deconstructed them, and that sort of sent me on this path. So, and I think that sort of origin story in a way, that is what the power is behind. Because if I start pretending that I know everything about Jordans and, you know, Air Max and whatever else, then it that's not... It, it doesn't align with what I with what I do, so it doesn't. There's no point in me trying to pretend to be that. I suppose. Yeah, as as an artist, and I don't know if you would cl- classify yourself as an artist, but I mean, I think that that for me definitely is a factor of what you, what you do. Like as as well as a man manufacturer, you are also an artist, and I think coming from it as as not a sneakerhead um, means that your work has the aesthetic that it does. It would be impossible, really for you to have found that aesthetic if you came from being a sneakerhead because you would be too too tarnished by precious you, about yeah things, you'd know it? you'd know mm. too much it's almost like the the ignorance of not knowing the culture and being able to take a pair of breads and slice into them um slice bread as it were then like <laughs> like there's a there's a power there's a power to that um that yeah you you like never precious you can you can rip off a pair of air max one sole even even if it's a rare pair and not worry too much about it because you're about the end product not about the hype definitely and i think yeah that's 100 percent how i've really approached everything through this sort of like naivety in a way because and also spontaneous creativity you know just see something take it apart put it back together not worry too much about it because it's exactly that and i think also when i look at the space especially within the sneaker landscape there's plenty of people that do amazing products that do worship and cherish the you know yeah. the brands that they you know and they replicate specific silhouettes or whatever it is but um that's not what i do so that's fine <laughs> that's fine and i think that's what um that's what i've realized really but um another thing i just want to say quickly was about what you said about being an artist and i think this is so interesting because i kind of find myself in this weird space between being an artist being a designer and also being like you said like a manufacturer you know i actually or like a you know craftsman a cobbler whatever it is and i think that i always find this space it's like it's a bit of an uncomfortable space to be in but i don't know i think people just sometimes don't really know how to like label me or they don't really know how to understand what i do but um i've been thinking about it and i I always wanted to be an, I actually always wanted to be a fine artist and be a painter. And I love sort of like really textural, like expressionist paintings, especially of um, self portraits. And I see it in your work. That's, I see the brush strokes. Yeah. It's there. Like the, the, the texture and the layers, like it's there. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think, and I think that's, that's sort of what I realized. I was like, no one's actually forcing me to be a fashion brand, to, be a production company, you know, to produce products. I've made this world for myself to live in. So now I can choose what I want to do with it. And it feels quite, it feels quite good. And that kind of goes back to, again, the fact that you weren't a sneakhead before. It's like everything you're doing is just coming at from a different angle to what people expect. And I feel like that's where your success has probably lied for the fact that you've just gone, I'm just going to do this thing because I want it. And I think it's the right way to go rather than thinking, oh but that's not what these other people did or ah well I'm not sure if that's going to work because I've not seen it work before and I think so often it can that can be the best when the best things happen when you just do things a little bit differently to how everyone else is doing it and you don't follow the path that everyone else has done 
yes you can it's always great to look at other people's paths if for a bit of inspiration or if you're stuck at times but i think sometimes if you just feel like it's right based on all the experiences you've had in your life that can often be like the best direction to go definitely and i think that's i mean whenever i do i do a lot of you know talks and workshops and things with students and um i think what i always say to students you know is is that sort of thing really that idea of sort of analyzing almost all your work look at your products and think like what am i getting to here like what is this leading towards because i think i remember when i was at rca and i did like a almost like audit of all my projects right from when I did my BA and even my art foundation all the way up to my MA. And I looked at everything and sort of saw this common thread. And I was like, every project that I do, I'm questioning construction, uh, construction methods, trying to kind of poke, almost like poke fun at a bit, the traditional ways of making, see, seeing how I can twist them, how I can change them, how I can question them and just see if there's ways that I can do that. And also everything that I'm doing is very textural. It's always about human experience is about tactility and you start to see all those things and you think right that's what I'm doing then and once you know that you can start to build projects that lead you for in that direction it's definitely not that easy to do but I think just even just looking at all the things that you've created and think out of all these things what's my favorite thing about them what is the best thing about them or even identifying the thing you hate about them because then you'll also that will also help you You're listening to Creative Rebels, the podcast for creatives. If you're enjoying this episode, please consider subscribing and sharing this podcast in any way that you can. I I think that path is so strong. Starting out where you just follow whatever you feel is right. Keep going down that route for as long as possible and then actually stop and reflect. And then I think what you've done there is you've looked back, found those common threads, found the themes in your work. And then I think you can craft your why and your purpose and all these different things out of that. I think there's so much pressure of having everything supposed to be sorted out before you even start. Whereas actually the best thing to do is start, do the work, and then once you've done it, you've worked out what works, then look back and then that will dictate your route forward. Even I don't know how you guys feel, but I feel like in every project that I do, like even even if it's a big project with a big budget and a big brand, you still start not really knowing what you're doing. And you still start thinking, all right, we have a basic idea of what we're going to do, but you don't know how you're going to get to the end result. You just start doing it. And so I think that works when you're doing a self-initiated project, a free project, you know, a million pound project is all the same. As soon as you know the path, that's when it gets really fucking boring because you're like, (laughs) there's what, there's no creativity. I'm just doing a thing. That's like Mm. that what you've described there is creativity. It's the element of the unsure of the kind of learning as you go. Whereas as soon as it's just like, like flip it to working in a factory for Nike. It's like those guys are going to have templates that they cut out. They stick it together in this way and they do the thing. There's no creativity in that. It's just they're just piecing something together. And I think that's where it becomes fun. That's where the creativity happens. That's where the enjoyment of the work comes from is that being able to work working out as you go rather than just having all the answers you've kind of worked out that you've got this um this path and you and you know the work that you're trying to create what have been the kind of challenges when it comes to business wise because obviously you could be making like really 
ridiculous sculptures made out of shoes but if no one wants to buy them then that's so you you've obviously found your kind of cross-section between doing what you love but also there's a market for it how's how's the business side gone for you yeah i mean it's hard running the business isn't it? sure is <laughs> i think it's so interesting because again like when i when i sort of started it was all fueled from this like passion this creativity to feel the need to put my work into the world so I wasn't really thinking about the business at all. And I probably wouldn't recommend that this is the best way to go about it. But kind of, as we said earlier, you just start doing it, then you just work it out, don't you? And I think that that's, that's basically what I did. You know, I worked out by, by doing, you know, you work with someone, something goes wrong and you think, oh yeah, next time I'll make sure I have a contract in place. Or someone doesn't pay you on time and you think, oh, I'll make sure I tell them they have to pay me by this date or, you know, all those sorts of things that you just, you just learn by doing it. And then you eventually, I feel like now I've got to a space where I feel confident in, in what I offer. And I also feel confident in the fact that what I offer is very different to what everyone else offers. So I, so I, I'm not so scared about, like I said earlier, you know, like saying no to things or even, when it comes to pro you know when it comes to money when it comes to quoting things like knowing the value of your work for a certain project and also the value of the association with you is really important yes. because i think that especially for me at the moment there's a lot going on in the sneaker industry around sustainability and um awareness around that and i think because of the work that i do i have to be quite careful now about who I work with because I can't compromise what I represent by you know the people that I work with because they want to show that they're doing something good you know so I think that that's um that's sort of I don't know it's just an interesting place to be um but yeah I don't know in terms of business uh yeah it's all right isn't it I think um I'm getting much better at being sort of business minded and I do everything by myself. So it's just me in the studio. I have um, an assistant who works two days a week with me. And other than that, you know, I'm doing everything. I'm negotiating contracts. I'm sending invoices. I'm chasing payments. Um, so it's you, you don't really realize all the things that are encompassed in creating a business until you start one and suddenly you're talking about insurance and you're talking about IP and you're talking about and all these things and then you think oh it's a lot to this because you mentioned like um a good point which is what you do is completely unique there's no one out there doing the same thing as you how did you work out how to how to charge for that what's really good about our industry is we have a really lovely crew of we call ourselves the shoe squad um and we're like this little group you know of a whatsapp group and whatever and we're all some of us are freelance some work within companies but we sort of have this really nice community which we can help each other and sort of cross-reference on quite a lot of things and i think that 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 really helps me massively because that um allows us to just check that we're not being taken advantage of yeah, or we're not great. being like um, so, so that's nice. And I remember as well, like when I was at, um, uni and stuff and people always said to me, like, oh, build a network. And I was like, oh, what, what's that mean? What build a network? What's, what's that? And I think that is basically your mates in the same industry as you. And I think the more you, we have just such a good, you know, group where we can 
ask each other things and that is your network and then projects come along maybe you can't do it you can give it to your friend or vice versa or you can work on a project together or just all those sorts of things that it's it just makes kind of creating business much more natural when you have that network of friends that you can sort of call in I guess. Did you always have that network of friends who were in the industry or did you build those because you kind of found a need for it yeah I just built it myself obviously when I worked at Adidas I made like some good friends there that were I, I'm still in contact with but I remember I so there's this amazing um, designer called Daniel Bailey and he runs a platform called Concept Kicks I don't know if you mm-hmm. know that platform but it's um, they they show loads of like sneaker concepts he featured my work a couple of times and I remember came to London didn't know anyone moved into this flat where I didn't know anyone and I saw that concept kit or Daniel was doing like a book signing at um somewhere in Shoreditch and I thought right I'm just gonna go and I just went stood at the back like so quietly didn't speak right at the end I went up to him I was like oh hello um blah 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 like talking so quietly and being so polite and then he was like oh and I was like you know you posted my work before a couple of times so I just want to say thank you He was like oh what did you say your name was again and I was like oh I'm Helen uh, Helen Kirkham and he was like oh you're Helen Kirkham like oh my god I love your work blah 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 and it was so nice because I was I don't know he he sort of took me under his wing I guess and he's introduced me to so many people in London and in the sneaker industry and that really just came from me putting myself out there and just being like oh I'll just go to this event on my own sat in the corner like felt like a right you know lemon by myself that didn't know anyone but after that you know I made friends with Daniel and that's like a such a fantastic person in the industry to know it's brought you know he's brought me loads of projects we've we're good friends and I think that just putting yourself out there especially if you know that what you you know you do something that's quite interesting and even if you're not that confident, I was not confident that my work was even good at the time. But I was like, oh, just he has he has posted it on Concept Kicks a few times. So I'll just say hello and right at the end. like Everyone's packing up. Literally, everyone's leaving. And I'm like, oh, God, right. Any second now I'm going to say hello. I'm going to say hello. And then, you know, you just build up the courage. Like, oh, I'll just do it and then I'll leave. And um, you just don't know what's going to come from those experiences. So I think just putting yourself out there is so important. And I know with you guys where you do your uh, monthly zoom just give you a bit of a plug but just to say like it um that like access yes access that's what it's called um creativerebels.co forward slash access yeah that's right there you go um but that for example something like that is such a good networking opportunity because you're just like putting out little feelers to be like oh i'm just going to appear over here and i'm going to appear here every month until i make sure that people know who I am and that I'm here and we do on um we actually have on clubhouse as well like a sneak sneaker um group on there that we we meet on Sundays and the same sort of thing really it's you know the same faces appear in the group and they're the same people that send you dms and tell you they like your work and all that sort of thing that's all it takes really I just really believe in being a nice person being like a kind and genuine person and also being enthusiastic about people's work I think if if you like something that someone does, tell them about it, because the likelihood is that not many people have actually reached out to them just to say, hey, you really inspired me or I really like what you're doing. And then you build like a real connection with someone that's more than just, you know, liking their posts on Instagram or whatever. 
Yeah, and I think to add on top of that as well, it's the consistency. It's like you can just pop into someone's DMs and be like, that's nice, and then disappear. But if you're there every single month or once a week or every time they post, constantly being there for someone, that's how a relationship, that's how a friendship forms, by you being there constantly. It's not just uh, I met this person once and then never saw them again. It's like you met them and it's like by constantly being kind of front forefront of someone's mind, they're going to think of you in the same way. And it's going to be this constant thing. They're like, oh, I like this person. It's not going to be like, oh, I remember meeting that person once and they were quite nice. It was, I like this person because they're always here when I need them or they're just always a good little bit of positivity when I want them. Even like, for example, with you guys, like with this podcast, you know, I discovered your podcast, posted it on my story, was like ranting and raving about it. You know, I came to one of the access events. Like I followed you both on Instagram. Like I, I really invested in what you were doing and that's how and now i'm on the pod so it works guys the the key lesson there though is is the work um and like everything it always comes back to the work because because it's like um the reason that you got that opportunity with complex is because you said hi they recognized your name but they also were interested in what you were doing um, so I like when I'm painting murals in in Shoreditch, like there's people that will come up and say hello to me. And if they say a name that continuously is commenting on my on my Instagram, I will know who they are straight away, which opens a dialogue, opens a conversation with them. But if they are like a peer or someone that, do you know what I mean, it's such a different conversation. Mm. Right. So you didn't come across as a fan of Complex Kicks. You came across as a contemporary, as an equal, because you already had the work to back it up. So I was talking to a young artist in the week about uh, about networking um, because she, like, she exactly the same as you, had that initial kind of question of like, where the fuck do I start? Because it's, people say you need a network, your network is your net worth, but like, where where are all these people waiting to be discovered? And it was just kind of breaking it down to her of like, it's this long process of getting to know people getting known by people providing something of value like like showing that you are on their level in some way so it's like it's like often when i'm trying to get a guest for the podcast like i message them from my my instagram account which is obviously all murals has nothing to do with the podcast but it shows that i'm good at something it shows that i have expertise in in a certain field which goes such a long way like like they will then they can then like look into the podcast and see okay all of these guests have been on the podcast and they can see that it's it's the route for them but i have i have the social proof because again of the work like the work backs you up and it's your it's your kind of cape that you're wearing at all times it's like everyone can see like okay you've done something you've created something yeah, you do have to do the work. There's not really any two ways around that, I think. And I think that especially nowadays, you know, with every, the way that social media is developing and everyone wants everything so instantly, it's really a difficult place to navigate because everybody wants to be instantly recognised or have instant, you know, I get the, convers- the I get the question quite a lot from students, like, how did you get so many followers on Instagram? I mean, I don't even have that many but like how did you get you know how'd you get a blue tick like all that sort of thing and I think it's I didn't just wake up one day and have 30,000 followers like my followers have consistently grown through the projects that I've done through the work that I've done you have to be prepared to go through the bit where nobody is interested in you which can be really hard but um 
yeah, that then that's when you have to find the motive. And that's when you have to have something bigger that's like calling you. And it's like, there's a reason more than just for my own, you know, or maybe it is just for your own like satisfaction, but whatever it is, you have to have something that keeps you going through the time when you think that no one else is interested in what you're doing. Coming back to like the work as well, like going at it with the approach of I'm going to become the best at what I do. I'm going to excel at this before you go to make the networks. I think is a much better route to take it. It's like become excellent at something and then tell people about it. Don't get everyone mm. to know about you and then try and build something excellent after it. Because it's like, they're going to look at you and be like, well, you've got nothing excellent to show. Whereas if you can go to them, it's like, it seems everyone that seems to, that you've made connections with, they've just seen your work. That like, I think if you had 10 followers, they would look at your work and think, I'm going to follow her or I want to connect with her because the work's so good. It almost the metric there, it doesn't matter so much because I think the quality, people can see that there's something there that they can't create themselves that is very unique, which is very good. And I think people just, they can see the quality, I think, as well as social metrics do play a role in kind of people's opinions and things. If they can just look at something and just, they could just tell that good craft has gone into that. I think people really connect with that and they can see that the quality is there. And I think that's why the people, like they say, the kind of the cream rises to the top. And I think it does. Like if you're the best at what you do or one of the best, people will appreciate that. And I think if you go and start a brand new account tomorrow and you're just the best, if you were the best person in the world at a certain craft and you had no social media, tomorrow you launched loads of different social media accounts, you would get very big very quickly because the talent is there. And I think mm. growing the talent is more important than than trying to grow an audience. Yeah, me and Adam have a fun little game of of every time we find a really, really small account that we know is going to pop, we just send it to each other and you just, and it, but they're so hard to find because if you are really good at something, like you probably have been seen by people because of the work is, is, is there. Um, and I think that it's like, it's such a hateful thing to say to people, but it's like, one of the most because you were saying is like one of the most asked questions that you get is like oh how did you get all of these followers it's like is to really really examine like is the work good enough mm. um and then once if you can have that frank honest conversation with with yourself and realize that like yes the work is good then maybe it's it just comes down to how you're presenting the work like then you need to look into sort of more of the ins and outs of social media of like, should I be making video content? Should I be talking about what I do more? Should I be like whatever it is that gives you that sort of extra edge to it? Um, but really, yeah, it's like it's so fun for us to find these like really small accounts with like 2000, 3000 followers. And you just because uh, we just know it's like and then you sort of keep an eye on them. You're like, I, I know it's not going to be long. We're always right. Like it's it, they, we've never found an account that we've been like, this is going to pop. And it and it's not popped mm. because it's just the quality of the works there. Yeah, exactly. And I think also you never know who's looking at your Instagram like people can find you they might not necessarily be following you but they might be aware of your work and they might be waiting for the right opportunity to ask you for a project or to do a thing so even um you know just because someone's not liking it not saving it not following you that doesn't mean that isn't people aren't looking at it so I think it's yeah. it's always important to have just to be aware of that, I think, because I think even for me for a long time, you know, I was basing everything on like likes and like, oh, this post only got this many likes and whatever. It's just like, oh, I, I think exactly like you said, like when you get to the place where you feel confident in what you do. And I think I know what I do. I know what I 
serve like the what I do for people and what I create is interesting and is a good product so you know whether maybe oh, I didn't really take that picture right or I didn't really you know upload it at the right time or whatever it is that's all factors that aren't really that important so I don't know I think just you just got to put it out there haven't you to take this in like a completely different direction what kind of places do you take inspiration from this is just such a generic answer but i just get it from everywhere um <laughs> but i do i think i but you don't go everywhere i don't so go like... everywhere no i actually don't go anywhere <laughs> um so <laughs> i think no i think for me uh, like i said earlier like i'm always quite inspired by actual like fine artists and painters but i also um I love looking at, I'm always really inspired by the actual human agency within products, how people wear products. So I think looking at just even things like how people are tying up their shoelaces, how people, back in the day when I used to get the tube places, I used to love like doing little sketches of, you know, people on the tube, how they've tied their laces or how they've, because there's all these little nuances to that people's everyday life that they don't even think twice about you know they always do a double knot they always tuck them in they always you know the ends broken or whatever it is like there's all these little things that I I always find really interesting so I think definitely that um and then a lot of the inspiration as well comes from the actual materiality of the products so when I collect um pieces so I work with a recycling center called trade and they have like some charity shops in London and um charity bins and when I, I collect their odd shoes, so I take all the shoes that they can't resell, send on to people in need, and I just, yeah, take really the dregs of um, what they have. I mean, there's all sorts in there. So it's always really inspiring to see like the wear patterns on the soles, to see um, how the material is like changed. When you unpick something, if you unpick like a swoosh or a stripe or something, you get like the color variation. So there's all these, oh, yeah. there's all these amazing little details in the process of deconstructing products that I always find so interesting. So, and I think that's with why with my shoes, I can't really going back to what you're saying earlier about how much um, input do I give my clients. I can't really give them always an end result or like a perfect idea of how the shoe will look because it's driven by the process and it's driven by the material so you know i try and get on the most important pieces to them but there might be a piece that they never you know it might be the lining it might be the tongue like it might be these little bits that they probably didn't even consider as like a sort of element of the shoe that could be the most interesting like whilst doing this what do you reckon your favorite part is along that journey like the the initial kind of getting ideas or just uh, seeing what happens as you go along or the final piece? I think it goes in waves, doesn't it? Like there, there's that um, diagram, you know, of like the creative process where you're like, this is great, this is shit, <laughs> this is the worst thing I've ever made, this is brilliant, I'm a genius or whatever. And I think that, that it, I really, you know, associate with that sort of way of working because I think I love taking apart the shoes but it is quite time consuming and sometimes um i try and have like stock if it's not people's own shoes then i have like the stock prepped but i do love the deconstruction and i think you can always find something interesting in there i found um once when i was deconstructing like a lining and it was like a brooks running shoe and inside was like a little gold star you know like that you get for like a stick of chart yeah. when you've done something good and it was just so nice because it was like this gold star and it was in this running shoe and the shoe, like when I tipped it, it was like full of sand. So they probably run like a marathon or something. And then I was like thinking of this whole story in my head that goes around this product, you know, of this 
person that's run this marathon and their maybe their child has like given them a star to say well done and like I think those sort of finding those little details is always they that always really inspires me but um then when it comes down I guess more to the actual process of making yeah it's the spontaneousness or the spontaneity of just seeing what's going to happen really and like when you find two pieces that fit together that's that is like the the goat feeling like when you when you just find I don't know like a really good combination of pieces stitch them on the sewing machine and then they are like set in stone and I'm like that goes like that and I think that is that's the bit that's that's really exciting then the bit in the middle I question myself and then I like it again at the end I was listening to um, one of Cal Newport's books and he was talking about how you shouldn't just try and find a passion you should just try and get really good at something and by doing that you'll find your passion I almost feel like this is exactly what's happened there because you would never no child in the world if you said to them what would you want to be when you grow up they're going to say I'm going to find so much satisfaction from finding two bits of old trainers and stitching them together but it's through doing it that you find those little things that bring you joy and I think that's why it is so important to to just start doing something because you never know what's going to bring you satisfaction you like you would never have thought growing up as a kid that you'd look at someone's laces of a snapped end on the tube and get some like inspiration from that i think it's just throwing yourself into something getting started getting really good and then trying to find out little ways to get inspiration and get better like it's amazing what can happen when you just do it nike pun um yeah definitely and I think yeah I totally agree I mean I don't know quite what I really wanted to be when I was little but I remember um you know I wanted to be an artist I wanted to be an architect I wanted to be a painter and actually I didn't want to study fashion I remember thinking that fashion was like the way to um get what I want but then I discovered footwear again just by I was going to I was going to um study fashion and then I went to like an open day and saw the University of Northampton where I went and saw their footwear design course. And I just saw, I remember this student's like gold brogues and they were really, really pointy, like winkle pickers. Absolutely just gorgeous. Like so well made. And I thought, that's what I want to do. That sh- that object incorporates everything that I'm interested in. It's architecture, it's product design, it's fashion, it's art. Like is everything in this like little perfectly formed product. So I think that's why even coming back to what I was saying earlier about like wanting to be a fine artist or, you know, wanting to be a painter, there's something about a shoe that is so, it has the parameters within it. You know, it's got to be functional. You've got to be able to wear it. It's got to have some parameters around it to make it work. And I think that those boundaries help me to, be as creative as I can within those parameters. Yeah. And I think as well, you don't have to do that forever. Like sometimes I do think that like, am I going to be making shoes forever? I don't know, but I'm quite like doing it at the moment. So I'm just going to carry on. Yeah. Cause it, it might take you down a completely different path. And, and that's how, that's how new like passions get ignited. Like you might start filming the process and fall in love with video making or like it could be anything. Um, but that's, that's, I think and until you start doing something then then nothing happens and it's and like I mean yeah you could do it for the rest of your life and as long as it's still making you happy then that's amazing and if it stops making you happy at some point then you reassess and you and you go from there it's like 
but I but what most people do is they they get to that that stage that you described earlier where the the part where no one's paying any attention and you're not really sure of yourself yet and then they just stop and it's 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 pushing all of the gold is on the other side of that is pushing through that yeah definitely and it's an ongoing battle as well you know it doesn't it doesn't just end on the other side when people are like oh now people recognize me great like it's is ongoing and i guess you guys you know i'm sure have had a similar experience like you go through peaks and troughs and you have to keep you have to keep working you can't just be done and be like oh that's my work then and i think that that's um important to know as well but um my grandma always used to say to me you can only do what you think is right at the time and i always come back to that because i always just think you know especially when you look back like we were saying earlier about doing i don't know doing unpaid projects or doing projects that weren't really the right fit or didn't really like at the time there was a reason why you thought that was important to do that and there was also a reason why you thought that was the right thing to do so there's no point looking back on it and thinking oh i shouldn't have done that collaboration or i shouldn't have done that because it took you somewhere and it led you somewhere so i think um yeah you have to think about nana iris that's what she always used to say i love that it's it's so perfect i I think that yeah every step that we take is what gets us to to here and everyone agonizes about these decisions and oh is it the did i make the right choice did i make the wrong choice it's like well you've got no other option like you you can't go back and see what would have happened if you didn't take that deal or 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 did win this client it's like there's no other option so just nana iris it and you'll be all right exactly that is the way to do it helen thanks for our socks and thanks for doing our podcast um where can people find you online um you can find me on instagram and tiktok at helen kirkham studio and my website is helenkirkham.com where you can find products workshops and all things like that oh another little sneaky plug i've made a new instagram sneaker underscore sculptures which is our community page that um focuses on everyone's amazing creations and sneaker sculptures that they do in my workshops. So that's another good one to follow. And boom. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much.